It's good to be with you tonight. If you have your Bibles or your order of worship, we'll be reading from Proverbs. Uh, there are several Proverbs that we'll look at, though, not in your order of service. If you haven't looked at the outline yet, then don't peek at it just yet. I've got a riddle for you. Tell me, what am I? I am blowing in the wind. I can stop a fight in an instant. I change the hearts of kings. I can break a bone without even touching it. What am I? Well, if you know your Proverbs well, you know that I am a gentle word. And that is, more than anything, the sum of what we consider tonight in Proverbs, uh, what it says about our words, but particularly the tone of our words. Uh, you know, we're right to think uh, of our words and the tones as, as really inseparable. Yes, distinct, but inseparable. And because the tongue reveals what's in the heart, the, the tone of the tongue reveals what's in the heart. Uh, it's the tone that carries the words that we speak and that influence the message that everyone around us receives. Researchers will tell you that your tone of voice tells you as much, some will say even more, than your actual words. I don't know if I fully agree with that. But clearly, we have many agents that reveal the heart, the words, the tone, our eye, our eyes, our face, uh, even our body posture. They all play a vital role in communicating to other people. You know, I think for a moment what rolling your eyes at another person does. If you have children, you know what that looks like. and You know what it communicates. Or, or looking at your watch or your cell phone in the middle of an engrossing conversation, what does that communicate? The truth is our, our tones and our expressions are often harder to control than our words themselves. Because you can train yourself not to talk. It's not easy. But it can be done, but it is very hard not to express emotions on some level. You know, e even when you hold them in, it registers on the face or somewhere. If you're a poker player, probably not many of those in here tonight, but the best ones learn how to control the emotions, and they'll tell you it is a skill as much as a gift. Well, tonight the outline is, is just a simple three points uh, two general sections. We're in Proverbs 15. And we'll see that general words do three things. First, they calm the angry, they renew the weary, and they persuade the ignorant. But we'll also see the opposite truth, that when words and tones are sinful, they do much the opposite to the spirit of people. They provoke, they break, and they tempt to put it in a nutshell, uh, let's begin reading then. Chapter 1 of verse 15. Chapter 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. Well, the first power that our words have is the power to bring calm to conflict. You know, we read it in verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath. 
In the context of verse 1 is conflict. Now, it's a situation where two or more parties are at odds. They're in conflict. Words are, are multiplying. Tones are escalating. And blood pressure is rising. You know, you can imagine a marriage dispute or a, a, a disagreement at church or at work or in your neighborhood. When you sense conflict is rising, what do you do? Well, we get simple, effective, and practical advice here. Be gentle, he says. In whatever you say or do, be calm. You know, imagine that you're hiking in the woods and you come across a bear with her cubs. You know, you may not know exactly what to do, but here's what you don't do. You know, you don't make any sudden movements. You try not, don't blow a whistle also. That doesn't work. Be as calm as you can and don't think for a moment you can outrun a bear. This is not a whole lot different in conflict. This is what's being communicated. Be calm and notice the effect it has on others. Notice from Proverbs, though, what we don't read in chapter 15. There's nothing about surrendering your position here or giving in. You know, sometimes we might need to do that depending on the situation, but not always. Proverbs 17, 14 gives a, a related truth. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. You know, quit before a full-blown conflict erupts. And notice what happens in our passage when you employ a, a soft or a gentle tongue. Verse 1, it, it turns away wrath. You know, it, it can quiet things down. It may very well end the dispute. And you know why? Because it's often not the actual subject matter that you're debating that is the problem. It's the way you're debating. It's the way you're talking to one another. A friend of mine used to say that if his wife and he are, are arguing about the shoes left on the bathroom floor for more than a few moments, they're no longer arguing about the shoes on the bathroom floor. Very often it's about pride and anger. Sometimes I think we argue like tourists trying to communicate in a foreign land. If I just say it again louder, they'll understand, right? Have you ever done that? Or maybe with an accent, they'll understand. Well, we fail to recognize the message that our tones send to others and the persistence of our tones. Proverbs 17, 27 makes a related point. It says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. A cool spirit is a man who doesn't raise his voice. He doesn't shoot off his mouth. It's a man who, who listens. He restrains his words, and it has a calming effect on other people. This is what James communicates to us. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. And then I think the effect of that, slow to anger. This is simple, practical advice. So I understand the first truth. The general tones can calm the angry. But in verse 4 of our passage, a general tone goes beyond calming conflict is something else. We see that gentle words can actually bring renewal. They can renew the weary. We read this, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A tree of life, well, what does that mean? You find this occurring three places in the Old Testament. You find it four times in Proverbs, four times in Revelation, and four times in the book of Genesis. And while verse 4 is not referring to the tree of life that we read of in Genesis 2, there is a related message. 
It speaks of the blessings, uh, the joy of, of peace and communion that come ultimately from God. The tree of life produced fruit, and that sustained physical life. But in this setting, in Proverbs 15, it, it sustains spiritual life. It's, a, it's compared to it. In Eden, it was more than just a physical tree. It, it symbolized that unique place that man communed with God. And yes, he ate the physical fruit, but at the same time, there was a sort of a sacramental communion with God. In Revelation, it refers exclusively to the new heavens and the new earth, to what awaits believers, where God will wipe away every tear from our eye, when death will be no more, when we'll be at peace from God, peace with God. And the best words I can think of to des describe it is, is simply joy. A joy in the presence of God and the people of God that gentle words can bring to pass. You know, even in our day, uh, when words of truth are communicated in these tones, renewal comes. Renewal from the Spirit who uses the truth that the words carry. Not just the content, but the heart and the tone of the words. In Proverbs, it refers to admittedly fleeting moments in this world when we encounter God's goodness through other people. Proverbs 16.24 says much the same thing. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. You know, these words communicate love for others and, and renewal is associated with them. You know, we, we see one of the many references to the, the mind and the soul, the, the soul and the body connection. God did not create us disparate, two different, a mind and a body, but the two are linked together. So that if you're down and depressed, you know, if you're feeling a little cynical, uh, you could do a lot of things, but one of the things you need to do is right here in verse 24. You need to hear gracious words. You, know, you need to hear words from God because we are body and soul. And the words that we actually hear from other people can affect our souls. They can renew, or as we'll see, they can break the spirit. The implication is you need other believers in your life, ones to encourage you and to build you up, to encourage you to, to embrace and to love the Word of God. You know, Psalm 19 says of God's Word, it revives the soul and it rejoices the heart and it enlightens the eyes. God's Word spoken through encouraging tones, not harshness, not pride. But humility, this supports all we see in Proverbs. The gracious words renew our souls and they give health to our bodies. And look no further than verse 4 of our own passage. Gentle words are a tree of life. As we've seen, they can calm the angry. They can renew the weary. But many pro Proverbs promise us something else, something very practical and useful in ministry. Gentle words are highly persuasive. If you look at verse 2, it clearly builds on verse 1. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. The mouth of fools pours out folly. Well, the NAS says the tongue makes knowledge pleasant. The NIV says it adorns knowledge. But notice what we're commanded to do here, to, to make the truth easy to receive, to commend truth, not just in what you say, but the way you say it. This refers more than a mere tone of voice, but that is certainly a part of it. 
These are essential in what we say. And yet, this may be where many of us fall short. You know, we know the truth. We've studied it. But by our tone and manner, do we commend it to other people? You know, do we make it palatable? You know, making something palatable doesn't mean that we water it down. But it does mean that we don't become an obstacle in people accepting it. You know, the, the makers of Flintstone's vitamins figured this out a long time ago. But before, after I was a child, I remember growing up being forced to choke down these bulky, chalky vitamins that uh, my parents thankfully gave me. It wasn't that long ago, though, where my children, the first thing they wanted in the morning when they got up were, were their Flintstone vitamins. Why? It was very simple. Because they looked and they tasted like gummy bears. And who would have thought they were good for you? You can have both. Medicine is, is much the same way. Somewhere along the line, somebody figured out medicine doesn't have to taste awful and that if it tasted better, people might actually take it or consistently take it. You know, the, on a, the same note, Proverbs sixteen twenty one, the wise of heart is called understanding. Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. You see the same principle. Sweetness of speech are words that encourage and that build up by the words and by the manner of the words are communicated. And it, what does it do? It increases persuasiveness. You know, if you find people in your life that, that don't listen to you, and maybe you lack a certain type of influence over them, consider your tones. You know, people who want to be the most influential and, uh, often go about it the, the wrong way. The focus is on being smarter or being better informed, and they often link persuasiveness with just force and persistence. They forget gentleness and kindness. They forget what Paul said to Timothy, that the Lord's servant must be meek and kind, able to refute, but with perfect gentleness refuting people, being kind and merciful to them. You know, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Well, there you have two very difficult tasks before you. One, to change the mind of a king, a man with all of the power, a man who has no reason other than persuasiveness to do what you ask him to do. The other is to break a bone with a, a word, a mere word. How do you do it? Well, you need patience. And what else do you need? You need a soft tongue, it says. How do you know when you're not being patient? Well, ask your wife. Or consider your tone. It becomes sharp. You know, the first part of the verse commends patience. In other words, don't press people. Don't make demands. You know, especially if you're talking to someone of authority, like a king. But the second half is brilliant. It tells us the power of persuasiveness and force. It can break a bone just with gentleness and time and patience. Bones are hard. and God made them that way because he knew we needed hard bones. Maybe it's just my children, but we often fall and need strength. Well, think of a wife who lives with a demanding, boorish husband who won't listen to him. She might very well prevail in time. This is much of what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says to wives, be subject to your husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won by a word by the conduct of their wives. 
If you work under a person you know, who makes demands and who barks orders at you, you can in time prevail through the power of patience and calmness. In Proverbs 15, you, you see the same power of persuasion. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. I'm afraid we live in a world of great ignorance and apathy where, where people won't, in many cases, pick up a Bible, but they will notice a calm and gentle word and the life that is marked by patience and calmness and contentment. That will stand out in a generation that is furious and frantic in, in, in making demands to get ahead in life. Remember that gentle words calm anger, they renew the weary, and they persuade the ignorant. But in the time we have left, let me point out several examples that show the power of our words to do quite the opposite, to destroy. You know, you could think of this as evil words or poorly toned people. The first tone we examine, of course, is the harsh tone. Proverbs points out the power it has. It's right there in our text. You know, while we might be provoked to any number of emotions, the most common in Proverbs is anger. Verse 1, the soft answer turns away wrath, but its opposite, a harsh word, stirs up anger. That's power. It, it can stir anger. Not simply the words, but harsh words. Ephesians 6.4 is a, a very practical example of this to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. I, I, I can't help but think in so many cases where children grow up to become teens and then adults, that they went off track through a harsh word. Don't stop teaching and encouraging, but employ a gentle word. And don't always continue the argument. Uh, understand uh, how difficult this is. And it can be very humbling. But harsh words will provoke anger, even in our children. Proverbs twelve eighteen is another one that is right to the point. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Notice the emphasis. It's not just the tone of the words, though. The words themselves. These are rash words. What does that mean? Well, these are words that give no consideration to the consequences in the life of the person, how they will impact the person who receives them. They're impulse-driven. Uh, meant, in many cases, to inflict pain on others. And that's a good word picture here. You, you have a conflict, you have the tone rising, and then the swords come out. You know, what's so difficult about rash words is that they might actually be true, you know, in part or the whole. But when you bring up another person's sin to harm them, you have done little more than what's forbidden here. You know, our larger catechism on the ninth commandment tells us this is one of our duties is to cover the weaknesses of another, not to expose them and not to use the truth to bludgeon them with, not using their sins to harm, even if you're right. Proverbs 25, 23 makes much the same point. The north wind brings rain and a backbiting tongue angry looks. A backbiting tongue refers to tone and manner, but words are wrapped in anger. Yeah, it's, it's what we get from others. It, 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 it provokes this angry look. 
Not even a word. As we move on, we see a related example of what a lack of gentleness does. It doesn't merely incite anger. And we see that sinful words can, in fact, destroy joy and create weariness and sadness. You know, back in our passage, verse 4, it reminds us that pers- perverseness in the tongue can break the spirit. Now, I have a hard time imagining a perverse word that is not in some ways prejudiced and fueled by a harsh tone or a sarcastic tone. But these are words that twist and distort the truth, and they can crush the spirit. What's described is the feeling of great discouragement. And when you think about it, it's a powerful thing to be able to influence another person's mood like this. Now, we don't have arguments in the Harrington home like this, but my wife and I have a little early warning sign. If you want it, I'm going to share it with you. When we're having a conversation, and maybe I'm not understanding the importance of it, we have a give and take, but here's what we will often do. And it's implying you're getting ready to squash my desire here with what you're saying. Another favorite. This is my spirit. Now again, if it works, if you like it, you can use it as an early warning device. Uh, As we move on, though, we come to another power of the tongue. It's illustrated throughout the Proverbs, but not necessarily in our chapter. And that is the power of manipulation. Sinful words manipulate. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. Here you have two synonymous phrases with the second phrase slightly altered to suggest that a flattering tongue is actually a lying tongue. Flattery is easier for some more than others, but people flatter because they want something from other people. They want their friendship. They want their uh, allegiance. They, they want to use them for influence or standing. Politicians are notorious for this. Telling people what they want to hear, being friendly. You know, you, you see it in business all the time. If you go to a clothing store and you try on an outfit and ask someone that works there how I look, you can count on looking good in their eyes. We read, though, with much Flattery. Proverbs 23.1. This is very similar. When you sit down to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're a person with great appetite. Do not desire his delegates for it is deceptive food. He's saying he's going to flatter you. He's going to manipulate you to get what he wants from you. And it's not because you're a wonderful noteworthy person that you're dining with him. You know, later in the same chapter, do not eat the bread of a selfish person or desire his delicacies. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. Nothing is as it seems with these people. You're being used. He wants something from you. And you'll find out soon enough what it is. One of my favorites on the same topic is chapter 20, verse 14. And it's very simple. Bad, bad, says the buyer. But then he goes away and he boasts. You know, this is, in, in some case, a manipulative buyer. Often you think of a manipulative seller. But this person wants the person who sold it to him, probably another person, uh, not in business, but selling it. And it wants him to feel good 
about the purchase he made, even though he took advantage of it. I'm afraid there are more examples than we have time to examine. But remember, one of the things that evil words do, they are powerful. They do provoke to anger. They do manipulate. But there's a final example of their power, and it is all throughout Proverbs. They tempt us to sin. And perhaps the best example of the power of our words to manipulate and attempt to sin is in the examples of adultery. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16, is the call to follow God's wisdom. Verse 16 tells us why. You will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. You know, the father, this is a father talking to his son, and he specifically highlights the smooth words of the adulteress and the power of them. In Proverbs 6, 24, we read of, that God's wisdom will preserve you from the evil woman from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And there it is again. Proverbs 7.10, Behold, a woman comes to meet him. Wily of heart, she is loud and wayward. And then later in verse 15, I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. And then the kicker in verse 21, why does he give in to adultery? Not merely because of what most people think. You know, her beauty, her body, her face, her eyes. That's not what we read. We read with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. You know, seductive speech persuades. That, that's what highlight. That's what's highlighted here. I, I'm sure she was attractive. But we don't read anything of that to speak of. What's emphasized is the smooth, seductive speech, her verbal tone. You know, nothing more than a perversion of a gentle tongue. And she tells him what every man wants to hear, how wonderful he is. You know, I've come out to meet you, she says, to seek you earnestly. And of course, he believes it. And what do we read next? With her seductive speech, she persuades him. You know, if you want a simple way to benefit from this truth, don't have regular conversations with the opposite sex, not, not at work, not at church, not anywhere else. Because often, more is needed to fall into this particular sin than mere physical attraction. A personal connection is needed for something on this level to grow and be fostered. You know, if you're raising teenagers and, and they're in the dating age, bring their dates home. Get to know them at home. You know, insist that they go out with friends in public places. It's very hard to manipulate in public. Not many people do that. Some do. Insist in a public life. You know, because this young man in Proverbs did what he did in private. It was the twilight of the night when he sought her out. Well, as we close, if there's one thing we see about our words and our tones, it's the power they have for good or for evil. Good words and tones can calm the angry, they can renew the weary, and they can persuade the ignorant. But evil words and tones, they can provoke, they can break the spirit, they can tempt us to sin and lead us astray. But understand their importance and their power. And for it's God Himself that speaks to us in words and through human messengers. And God's words can also alter our emotions and our behaviors. God can lift you 
out of a season of gloom and great discouragement. He can calm an angry heart. He can persuade the hardest of sinners. And as we approach the Lord's table, this is a good time to search our hearts and repent. If you know your words have been harsh, if they've been cutting, repent. You know, if you've used the truth to harm others and not to encourage them, turn from that. God says if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And may that be our encouragement as we pray together. Gracious Father, we ask that you would search our hearts. Lord, as we have confessed our sins, would you bring to mind other sins that we could turn from them? And would you renew us with your word and your spirit? And even through our, the sacraments, would you bring renewal to us? Would you commune with us and bring joy and, and peace and communion that is signified in this supper, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.